uh, we've been talking about what a Savior. Uh, and we talked about His uh, power and His purpose. And today we want to talk about His undeniable passion. There's something so amazing about Him. Undeniable. And so I hope that you'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans chapter 5. Well, here's what I believe as I put these in your notes. The clearest picture of Christ's passion is seen at the cross. There's no greater portrait of passion than man can ever behold and look upon. I have uh, been in the, the ministry uh, almost 36 years. And the challenge is always try to find an illustration from life that somehow illustrates what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago with Jesus. And the truth is, there's not one that does it well. So I just want to go back to the original event and talk about that historic moment 2,000 years ago. I want to talk about that today. May we revisit the cross and get a fresh vision and a fresh awareness of what took place that day when Jesus hung between heaven and earth for six hours. What does that mean to you today in the 21st century? What does it mean to me? And how do we let it work in our lives? Romans 5, verse 8 says this, But God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, since we now have been declared righteous by His blood, and we will be saved through Him from wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, we be saved by His life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Wow. While we were sinners, that's all of us, every single one of us, we started out the same place. Christ died for us. And God demonstrates His amazing love in that historical event and that reality in our history. So I want to just share two things with you that I want you to take note of. The first is this. The cross expresses God's love for sinners. The cross is the expression of just how much God loves you, and God loves me, and those that will be classified as sinners, which is all those that have been born. Bible says, all have sinned and come and show the glory of God. That's all of us. Nobody's better than anybody else. We may do things differently, but we're no better than anybody else until something happens in our life that makes a difference. And that's why Christ came. So in understanding that, here's what you get. I, let me ask you a question. What, do you, what often do we do to express our love to those around us, to family and friends. Uh, you know, I, uh, uh, I just had a birthday this past Friday, and it was, it was great and enjoyed it. And I got all kind of cards. I got, I got cards that said, man, happy birthday, love you, Dad. And then uh, I got one from my wife said, to the most wonderful man in the world, I love you. At least that's my paraphrase version of it. And like, that's what you should have said anyway. Anyway, no. But, no, we have a, you know, and then, and then I got 
you know, people give me little cards to go out eat. I got something from Facebook. A lot of people wish me happy birthday, and some tell me they love me, and it's awesome. So we do things. We want to express love. We we send cards, and we send uh, Facebook messages and email, and 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 we text, and we we send things uh, to uh, to communicate and express love for people we care about. And also we give things. Sometimes we'll give gifts. I got, I got, I, they gave me golf shirts and cards to go eat and, and all kind of neat things. Uh, and and we, we give flowers or we give stuff, or we give clothes. We give things to say, this is how I love you. It puts a value on the love. It really does. And the truth is we all like to know people love us, don't we? Don't we? Everybody want to feel like you're loved? Amen. Do this. All right? If you don't, that's okay. Yeah, let me know if you don't care. But we all want to know. And see, uh, you know, we want to know that somebody likes us, loves us, cares for us, values us. And so we determine that by what they do for us. That's how it works. God wired us that way. That's why he wanted us to know how much he really loved us. And that's why he gave his son on the cross. God gave us Jesus. There's two things that stand out about the cross if you try to kind of look at it categorically. One is the humiliation of the cross. The cross was very, very humiliating. It, it, was, it, was, a, it, was, it was designed to discredit a person's life. Do you realize that? The humiliation of the cross was to say, you are a criminal. You have violated God and the Rome and all standards of, of what are expected in civilization in the Roman Empire. The various gods they worship, the various things they held to be honored. They're saying when they crucified you, you have failed at all this. You're a miserable person. You don't deserve to live. And you don't deserve to have an honorable death. You deserve the death of a criminal. Now, here's a man, Jesus, who did nothing ever really wrong, ever. He, 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 he was kind to people, loving to people. He loved the unlovely. He ministered to the broken. He cared about how people felt and what they went through. And yet, for this, he was crucified and, and because he was uh, hated by his own people, the Jews. Strange, isn't it? And their, their answer to his Life and what he was teaching and preaching was that he blasphemed against God. He deserved to die, and they wanted Pilate to crucify him. The tragedy of this, the humiliation is this. When he was crucified, he was treated as having no value at all. Do you understand that? I mean, that's really, uh, that he had no significance as a human being. He was the worst of worst of criminals. That's what a crucifixion was. It was designed to communicate to people, you don't ever do anything that violates the law of such degree as this person or you'll be crucified. And so you find that it was a humiliating thing. It would discredit his testimony and his deeds as saying all that he's done prior to the cross was wrong and it doesn't matter. That's humiliating because all he did prior to the cross was good. Kind, loving, miraculous. In, the, in his lifestyle and in his miracles, he revealed the power of God and he was God in the flesh. And that's what people were supposed to get. He could forgive sins, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cause the blind to see, saying, I am God, the God you're looking for. 
But in the cross, he says something else. He's saying, I'm the God who loves you beyond words. I'm the God who loves you to the greatest degree. And so with that, there's this humiliation he had to experience. But not only is the humiliation, there's the horror of the cross. The cross was a horrible thing. Over years, I've seen many, many movies about the, the crucifixion and about Christ. And, and they really never gave real, true authenticity to what took place when someone was crucified until the movie The Passion of the Christ. And that was, that was, and that was a very true picture of what took place. And I, I, I want you to know that that is how it really was. If you've never seen it, you'll see it. Because you'll understand just how much God loves you. The horror of the cross was that for Jesus, was he was beaten to where, in most cases, men would be almost beat to death. In the process, Pilate's saying, I really don't want to crucify this guy, but if I beat him bad enough and I put him on display next to a guy named Barabbas, who was a common criminal, they will choose, Bar- they will choose Jesus over this criminal. And, and he'll look, he will die probably anyway from the beating. But they did not choose Jesus. They chose Barabbas. And, and so they kept saying, crucify him, crucify him. What do I do with him? Crucify him. We want him dead. But he did not die as an act of a vigilant crowd crying louder than everyone else. He died because God wanted to display his love for you and for me in the cross. The heart of the cross, he would be beaten, and then he would be asked to carry his own cross to the, uh, to the little hillside outside Jerusalem called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And it was a, a little a rise and, and a little mountain where you could actually be displayed for all to see you and see the humiliation you would experience and the horror you would go through as they would take you. He being worn out by the beatings and the loss of blood, the crown of thorns had placed upon his head that, that punctured his brow. And he was bleeding to where uh, we're told no one would really recognize him and no one would even look at him. He was so horrific in his appearance. And so he has this blood that's rolling down his face and his body and his back and his arms. His thighs, and then they finally, he falls under the weight of the cross, and he's then allowed to uh, just take a moment and rest. They bring a person from the crowd named Simon, and, he, and they take him, and he begins to carry the cross, the final place of execution for Jesus. They stretch his arms out in a very matter-of-business way, getting it done as quick as they could. The Roman soldiers grabbed his hands, held him in place, one held the nail, the other drove the mallet, and they drove spikes into his hands on the cross beam. They went one foot upon the other, and they drove spikes in that they hold him to the cross. And then they hung him between heaven and earth, where he would spend his time grasping for breath for six hours. Six hours. The purpose of the crucifixion would eventually you would suffocate die from lack of oxygen. He would hang there, bleeding from virtually every part of his body. Agonizing. Raising his weight on his, from the feet that are nailed to the cross, reopening the wounds on his back again and again as he would try to get that 
<sighs> deep breath. You know how you want to get a real deep breath sometimes? You ever get your allergies acting up? You get a cold and you just can't get that deep breath and you just you get short breath and you, you know, all of a sudden you, you just... You, he never got to get a deep breath. He never got that sensation of, I got enough oxygen. He would hang there. They would mock him. They would laugh at him. They would make fun of him. But in every drop of blood, it declares God's love. No wonder Charles Gabriel would write the words to a song, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. For me it was in the garden he prayed, not my will but thine, and he had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and he suffered and died alone. When with the ransom and glory his face I shall at last see, t'will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful. Is my Savior's love for me? Have you realized how much He loves you? Man, He's just trying to reach to where you are and bring you to where He wants you to be because He loves you. He wants to spend eternity with you. He desires a prepare a place for you. That's how much He loves you. Well, there's something else I want you to get. The cross is the experience of judgment for sin. It's the expression of love for sinners, which are all of us. But it's also the experience of judgment. You see, we are saved by His blood. Something had to make us right with God. Paul said we had to be reconciled to God. We were separated from God because of our sinful attitudes and conditions and behavior. And because of that, we were at war with God all the time. Now, we go through life trying to figure out how to get right with God. We know that God's up there, and we, kinda, we know he, he has this uh, standard. So we try to go through life trying to meet the standard. And we try to compensate for our failures. We try to do good things in the place of bad things. And we, we think we're going, well, I go to church every Sunday for five Sundays, and then ten Sundays, and fifteen Sundays, and, and I'll try to do things better, and I'll try to love my neighbor, and I'll do these things trying to get right with God. The sad tragedy is there's nothing we can do to be right with God. But all that needs to happen for us to be right with God was done at the cross where our sins were judged in Jesus. Everything you've ever done, everything, everything you'll ever do, everything I've ever done, everything I'll ever do was nailed to the cross that day. And when Jesus died, what he did because he's eternal who he is, it's been good For those who would trust him forever. The cross was sufficient to cover all the sin that we would ever commit. The only sin the cross will not cover is the sin of rejecting what Jesus did for you on the cross. 
because of unbelief. And so we look at this and we realize that you need to understand it was a judgment that had to be met, had to be dealt with. And Jesus took on it all. You say, well, how do you know that? Because in Isaiah 53, here's what it says. But he was pierced because of our transgressions and crushed because of our iniquities. Not his, ours. The stuff I did wrong, the stuff you did wrong. The times we lied we shouldn't have. We thought things we shouldn't have thought. We lost our temper when we shouldn't have. That's what we do. And we do that. And he said, "I, I got that. Those things you did to hurt other people, to hurt yourself, to defy me. I have died for you. I've covered your transgressions. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. The wounds of being at war with him. The wounds of brokenness because of sin. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all, the things we've done wrong. We're all on him that day. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep, silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. Judgment. The day he died on the cross over 2,000 years ago, it was for God to judge my sin and yours. To say it was serious, it was bad. It could not be overlooked. It could not be just kind of let go. It had to be paid for. And Jesus paid the price. And therefore, by his blood, my sins are eradicated. I bear them no more. I I don't have to give account for them in regard of, uh, I no longer stand before the courtroom of God and say, am I guilty or not guilty? He says, you're not guilty because of Jesus. He said, well, how does that happen? How does that happen? By simply coming to a point of trusting Christ, personally identifying with what he did for you on the cross. He's your only hope. There's no hope in anything else or anyone else or another denomination or any kind of religion apart from the person of Jesus Christ. That's why God loves you so much. He was your only hope. And he provided all that you needed to come to a point of knowing him and being reconciled to him and having him in your life. That's how it works. In St. Petersburg, Russia, If you were to look at the landscape from one side of the city and see the rooftops of the various buildings, you will see crosses filling the landscape. Now, in St. Petersburg, Russia, you cannot talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's against the law. And yet, because those those, those many, many buildings uh, predate communism, At one time, the cross was preached in St. Petersburg. At one time, there was a voice that expressed the love of God. And in the museum at St. Petersburg, there's pictures of the crucifixion for all to walk through and see. Can't be denied. It's historical fact. And many people value the cross because it seems to add to the architect in the design of a building. Some wear the cross because it's a kind of a trendy piece of jewelry. 
It looks good. Somewhere it is somewhat of a, a good luck charm. But that's not the cross. It's more than something you put on a building. It's more than something you wear around your neck or on your earrings. Or It's more than a piece of jewelry. It's a historical event upon which Jesus Christ died for me and for you. It is a symbol of his love, expression of his love. No wonder Isaac Watts would write these words to his song. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole rim of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Have you given your soul to Jesus? See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Love that demands my soul, my life, my all. Hallelujah. What a Savior.